Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And, Jim, our good martini is kind of a jumping-off point from yesterday, where after having the high ground after the Trump tweets, the Democrats in question went to the podium, and at least Ilhan Omar called for impeachment. Now we've got Al Green pushing forward on impeachment, which is the last thing Nancy Pelosi wants to happen. You explained yesterday that impeachment has a 21% support rate right now in the country. You've got the squad, and I really do hate the fact that we have this nickname for them now. But they went on CBS this morning. They're still griping at Nancy Pelosi about sitting down with them and thinking about the fact that they're women of color and all this stuff about they're still victims in their own party is basically the point. But they're also now going after the few moderates that remain in their caucus, one of which is Texas Democratic Congressman Henry Cuellar, who was one of the more reasonable Democrats in Washington, to be sure. He seems to be fairly level-headed on border issues and so forth. But they want him out. They want a primary challenge to Henry Cuellar because he's not towing the progressive line. And so Henry Cuellar went on Fox News, which I'm sure will really help his standing with these people, talking to Neil Cavuto. And here's what he thinks of the so-called Justice Democrats. Well, certainly, I mean, it's this group called the Justice Democrats. I think they're not Democrats, quite honestly. They're, uh, they're socialists. And they, um, they want to impose their vision to Texas. And we certainly know that in Texas, uh, our vision is very different from uh, what this uh, uh, social, uh, what I call this Justice Democrats, which are really socialists. They're not really Democrats. So, Jim, even when Trump disrupts the story for three or four days with his stupid tweets, these people are still at each other's throats and it's not going away. Yeah. Um, one of the squad, Ayanna Presley, visited the Texas border facility back on June 2nd. Uh, you probably saw some coverage of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez bidding there. But, you know, they all gave speeches afterwards outside. And one of the things she said was, quote, we're lifting up these stories in the hopes that you will see the light. And if you don't, we will bring the fire. <laughs> that quote looks and feels a little bit different after an unhinged activist went to the Tacoma ice facility, brought a bunch of incendiary devices and tried to light a propane tank. He was eventually shot and killed by police. That's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like people have said, hmm, is there any rhetoric that could have pointed in this direction? When you're literally saying, bring the fire and he brings incendiary devices, you really can't get much, much more literal than that. And so overall, look, people ask me, you know, Jim, on Monday, you said Trump had really stepped in it by jumping in the middle of this huge internal Democratic Party fight. Uh, they were in the process of destroying themselves and Trump had to give them somebody to unify against. You know, I, I assumed that Democrats would do a better job of unifying after this, that they would take this opportunity, that in the end, AOC and the squad and Nancy Pelosi and everybody else would rather not be spending a lot of time fighting with each other. And now instead, you know, we've got Tlaib and Ilhan Omar saying they have no regrets about any anti-Semitic remarks or anything they've ever said. You know, they were given an opportunity for everybody to be conciliatory to say, hey, you know, what unites us is bigger than what divides us. Let's all unite against Trump. We all want to beat him in 2020. And a big chunk of them don't seem all that interested in saying that and doing that. So this is, you know, I think Trump is being saved by their own instincts here. So look, this is, you know, this is the good martini, but there is a potential bad martini to go with it, Greg. And that is, um, 
Yeah, pretty soon you and I might run out of popcorn. <laughs> we can't have a popcorn shortage. I don't know if you saw yesterday, Jim, I think it was yesterday, where the Washington Post had an opinion piece entitled, We Are All the Squad. Uh, no, we're not all the squad. <laughs> we agree that they're American citizens. We agree that they have the right to free speech and the... Uh, the duties of any other person duly elected to that office, but to uh, ever associate myself with those people, not going to happen. The interesting thing is, is that you know, there's, it's almost a, park, a, a mark of political maturity. Um, you, you'll see when people argue about who should lead their parties, whether it's the House or whether it's the Senate, usually there's somebody who's really, really conservative. Uh, you could pick Ted Cruz. You could pick, uh, let's say in the House, I'd say Louis Gohmert, although I think Louis Gohmert really has gone around the bend. Um, but, you know, somebody who's like, you know, super conservative. Those people very rarely end up being the leader of their parties, not because there are too many squishes or, or something like that. But generally, the leader of a party tends to come from the middle of the party. The idea being that, you know, somebody like Mitch McConnell, you know, it's a, Kentucky is a pretty conservative state. He can vote as conservative as he likes. But in the end, he also knows he's got to protect Susan Collins, who can't vote conservative all as often. Although I think you point at the Kavanaugh fight and say Collins has always been there when we needed him. This is kind of a nature of politics. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has to understand that a Democrat from South Carolina or Oklahoma or any of these folks who just got elected in 2018 can't vote the same way as somebody from a heavily Democratic district in New York City. But she doesn't want to see that. She doesn't want to acknowledge that. She just generally wants to believe everybody can vote for Green New Deal. And if they just ram it through, the American people will accept. And, you know, it's a fascinating lesson to see politicians have to learn this over and over again. Uh, Jim, I just noticed this morning, you mentioned Ted Cruz, that they sentenced El Chapo today uh, to 30 years plus life. And he's got to forfeit $12.6 billion. Remember what Ted Cruz wanted to do with El Chapo's money? Build the wall. He could build two walls with that money. So I'm sure that'll be happening right away. This sort of thing would be easier if we hadn't lost the House. Because if nothing else, the great thing would be, you know, oh, would you get 60 votes in the Senate? Hey, let's make Democrats vote against using El Chapo's money to build a border wall. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys want to spend it on? All right, let's move on to our bad martini now. And this was originally nominated as the crazy. There's certainly a crazy element here, but Jim is correct that this is more bad than crazy in the end. The story is from Yahoo, and the fact that this Yahoo story exists is, is part of the issue here. The larger story is this, as Yahoo reports, Chris Pratt, the actor, is facing criticism over a T-shirt he was pictured wearing featuring a controversial symbol. The Marvel star's top, meaning shirt, shows the American flag with a coiled snake over the top, and a message underneath which reads, Don't Tread on Me. The writing and snake combo on its own is depicted on the Gadsden flag, a symbol created by Christopher Gadsden, a Charleston-born brigadier general in the Continental Army. It came to prominence during the Revolutionary War of the U.S. by colonists who wanted independence from Great Britain. Here's where Yahoo goes nuts. Although it is one of the symbols and flags used by the U.S. men's soccer team, Metallica, as well as some libertarian groups, over the years, the flag has been adopted by far-right political groups like the Tea Party, as well as gun-toting supporters of the Second Amendment. It has therefore become a symbol of more conservative and far-right individuals, and according to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission of the U.S., it also is, quote, sometimes interpreted to convey racially tinged messages in some contexts, unquote. So, Jim, what do you make of this nonsense? Sure. So, yeah, we, we like, you know, our first reaction is, oh, my God, this is crazy. But uh, the more I think about it, the more I think this actually does harm to our discourse. Uh, it is worth noting, if you go on there right now, the headline is Chris Pratt criticized for T-shirt choice, which is a really dramatic stepping backward from the original headline. Chris Pratt criticized for white supremacist T-shirt. 
you know? And so you're sitting there like, does it have the, the clan on it or something? A SWAT? What? And then you, you know, you go into the story and the deep, you keep waiting for the part that says that it's white supremacist and something that made that or something that even make it controversial. Right? So here's the description, you know, the Marvel stars top shows the American flag with a coiled snake over the top and a message underneath, which reads, don't tread on me. And you're waiting. <laughs> the, ra- the writing and snake combo on its own is depicted on the Gadsden flag, a symbol created by Christopher Gadsden, a Charleston-born brigadier general in the Continental Army. It came to prominence during the Revolutionary War of the U.S. by colonists who wanted independence from Great Britain. First of all, you love the fact that the Yahoo article has to explain this stuff. <laughs> It turns out America used to be a British colony. And back in 1776, they declared independence. Yeah. Um, so then the, the, it's been you know, adopted by far right political groups like the Tea Party. You know, Marco Rubio was, was Tea Party. Pat Toomey was Tea Party. These, these guys are far right, you know, and, as well as gun toting supporters of the Second Amendment. And as we all know, gun toting supporters of the Second Amendment are indistinguishable from terrorists. No, what is you know, there's, there's just this constant, you know, belief that something about this has to be racist. There was an observation, I think it came from Doc Zero. It's his pen name. I don't know what his guy's real name is. He said, pointed out the observation that the currency in the media world right now is not news and information. People no longer go online saying, hey, what's going on in the world? I, th- there must be something going on that I don't know about that I want to know about. No, the currency today is outrage. The currency is what can I get mad about? What can I share? What can I call for a boycott about? You know, everyone just seeks out things to get angry about. The great irony, of course, is, you know, you got China oppressing the Uyghurs. You've got, you know, terrorism. You got The world has no shortage of real problems. But for some reason, we like to invent new problems. Like, you know, the idea that uh, Chris Pratt's T-shirt, you know, which, by the way, let's point out that he's walking around. Like, he's not you know, attending a public event. He's not showcasing this. He wasn't, you know, making a political state. A perfect example. The file photo that runs with this article is Chris Pratt in a suit. And I don't think it's the white collared shirt that's the real problem. And this is, you know, they've decided this is the problem. And the other point person that uh, I think over at Reason they're pointing out, there's only one person who's quoted as complaining in this article comes from a verified account. Almost everybody else is just some, some schmo. So all you have to do is go out, find a bunch of schmoes, Put them together an article and boom, you've got your, not only have you gotten your article, you've got the kind of article that's probably going to get a lot of, because when people see, you know, first of all, a lot of people have heard of Chris Pratt. They've seen uh, Jurassic Park movies, Guardians of the Galaxy. They like him. And all of a sudden, Chris Pratt wearing white supremacist tee. Oh my goodness. You know, they have that initial reaction. How the heck did, you know, would he do something like that? Of course he didn't. And by putting something false, I mean, Yahoo's going to get a lot of entertainment about it. They, they got you and I to talk about it, but in the end, I think it does damage to our discourse because now the term white supremacist or racist or things like that now have no meaning because they even apply to things that have no connection to racism or, or anything like that. Two final thoughts here. First of all, the guy who wrote this is based in the UK, so maybe he's still bitter that we won the <laughs> revolution. You know, 247 years later, it's time to move on, I think. But uh, the other thing here, if you go down deeper in the story, Yahoo says, well, Pratt has never publicly identified with the Republican Party, but we're starting to get a little bit worried. That's a paraphrase. But the idea is... The (laughs) audacity speaks about his faith, and we all know what that means. He wants the handmaid's tale. Oh, groupthink. Dangerous, dangerous stuff. All right. Speaking of groupthink, let's move on to our official crazy martini now. And... 
Jim, the president of Planned Parenthood is out. Uh, this is a Baltimore doctor, Dr. Wen. Uh, she was ousted after eight months on the job, which led to some really entertaining headlines and tweets from folks uh, about uh, how she was ripped away from her job at eight months in and that sort of thing. Obviously, some abortion parallels. So now we're starting to find out why this happened. There was some factionalism going on there. She brought in her own people. She kept stuff secret from the rest of the Planned Parenthood staff. There's some issues over her her inability to keep up with the previous fundraising numbers and so forth. But uh, here's the part that's getting a lot of attention today. This is from BuzzFeed. Two sources told BuzzFeed News that Dr. Wen also refused to use trans-inclusive language. For example, saying people instead of women and telling staff that she believed talking about transgender issues would, quote, isolate people from the Midwest. For a period of a few months, Wen sometimes went through Planned Parenthood's press releases and documents, deleting the word sexual from the phrase sexual and reproductive health, the source said. She also resisted using the word abortion as a standalone term, preferring abortion care or other phrases entirely. So, Jim... This has been part of the trans debate now that uh, biological females identify as males and they get pregnant. Well, ipso facto, the media tells us a man is pregnant and Dr. Wen wasn't exactly ready to go along with that. So she's got to go. Yeah. A couple of thoughts here. Let me get out of my system. Her presidency was aborted in the third trimester. Okay. Just everybody made that joke yesterday, but I just felt, you know, when when it's that, when it's eight months, they really are just baiting us. Um, Look, I I really hold no brief for for Dr. Wynn, but I will make one observation. When you see somebody get dismissed after eight months on the job, I mean, even George Steinbrenner gave guys more time than that. that. That's something really kind of unusual to see. So, and they're not stepping down for unexpected health reasons or, or God, you know, there's some sort of terrible scandal or something, you know, Eight months is a really short time, and this seemed to come out of nowhere. So, uh, you know, I, I asked yesterday, you know, was when a scapegoat? And this, of course, generated a whole bunch of who's on first, what's on second type responses when the last name is when. But you really kind of wonder, like, what could, what could she have done that bad in an eight-month window that the board of directors would say, oh, this person's got to go? You could say, oh, they, they lost the the abortion law fights in Georgia and Alabama, but I don't think that's necessarily Wen's fault. Uh, you know, this, th- these are pretty darn conservative pro-life states. We've seen a whole bunch of states expand abortion rights. You know, I mean, if, you, if people had asked you or me or the average pro-lifer, do you think Planned Parenthood is less effective now than they were uh, nine months ago when Cecile Richards was going out the door? I think most pro-lifers would say, nah, nah, they're, they're doing a lot better. Uh, so it's really kind of weird that the, the Planned Parenthood folks seem to think she was doing some sort of materially and measurably worse job than Cecile Richards, who'd been on the job for a really long time. And then an explanation like this makes a little bit more sense, although I think it's kind of, this should terrify everybody on the left, because this means you can literally be the president of Planned Parenthood, and you're not woke enough if you're using the wrong pronouns, right? That, that is an issue people will attempt to fire you over. No matter the fact that she's a doctor, but no matter anything else she's doing on the job, that is what they will you know, use as their excuse to say, okay, we got to get rid of this person. Can't, can't put up with them anymore. And by the way, just I think there's kind of a really interesting flip side or, or kind of flip situation to look at what's going on with the National Rifle Association. People know, and I've, you know, NRA TV is no more. My buddy Cam Edwards has moved on to BearingArms.com. But one of the complaints about NRA TV was that its programming is becoming less and less focused on the Second Amendment and more and more focused on broader cultural issues. And yeah, slamming the media had always been sort of part of the NRA's message, particularly when they felt like the media was covering the gun issue badly. 
you generally would start seeing it venturing, venturing off into other policy areas. And NRA members were kind of like, well, wait a second. What, what, what is the point of this? Is this the point of this network to duplicate what Fox News is doing? Or is the point of this network to focus on gun issues and to advocate our beliefs and our attitudes on this one central issue? Which, oh, by the way, the NRA had long been a bipartisan organization. If you were a pro-gun Democrat, they would have your back as much as if you were a pro-gun Republican. Well, here is Planned Parenthood which you'd think would be primarily based around <clears throat> Planned Parenthood and abortion and perhaps birth control and issues relating to that, where all of a sudden now transgender issues are going to come front and center. Uh, the ACLU now focuses on particular issues a lot more than other ones and is much more reluctant to stand up for the free speech rights of people who are deemed hateful and things like that. You know, it's really kind of interesting that, you know, you go from being a single issue organization just slowly morphing into an everything matters arm of a, of a partisan side. They're eating their own. The question is, will they actually wise up or will they just double down and just everybody becomes uh, a target at some point? So, Jim, never a dull day. See you tomorrow. Always enjoy it, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks very much for being with us today. And tune in again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.